0: Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by CapShow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use CapShow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, Episode Ninety One. The weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of beyond the rut. In this episode, we got another great hookup from Sarah McDaniel because she just knows a lot of great folks that we want to talk to, and she set us up this time as well. Jeff Goins author, teacher, missionary, you name it, he's done it. Well, probably not. But anyway, uh, he's written a lot of books that I've read, uh, The Work of Art, The Writer Manifesto, and The In-Between. Those are some of the books I've read, but he's coming out with a book. It just came out this week, in fact, called Real Artists Don't Starve. So Brendan and I are going to join Jeff in just a moment, where we're going to talk with him about the book, about how he got started as an author, and some of the resources available to help you find your dream and make your dream come true. All right, Brandon, take it away and introduce who we've got. Well, again, because I just said it in the uh, intro, but it's really cool to hear it from you too. (laughs)
1: Well, we have somebody that uh, is just, he is the kind of guy that pours into... Anybody and everybody. I mean, he, he's an author, a podcaster, a writer, all kinds of great things. But his biggest, I think, asset is he, he just wants to help other people succeed. We got Jeff Goins on today, and he's got a new book coming out that everyone needs to get. But we're going to talk to him today about that book and just some of the other things that he's got going on. So welcome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
0: I was just counting how many books of yours I've read. And I've read mm-hmm. The Art of Work. I've oh, read cool. Your Manifesto, uh, You Are mm-hmm. a Writer, So Start yeah. Acting Like It. And uh-huh. then the one I really love is the in between because you know when you're in between that next big thing you know what are you doing and and i was like wow you know other than michael crichton this is the most i've read of any one author <laughs>
2: <There you go. laughs>
0: yeah so you're right awesome. up there with Jurassic Park and uh, <laughs> a timeline and some other
2: <laughs> books but Uh, as it as it should be exactly exactly you gotta get (laughs) that jurassic park money rolling in (laughs) that's right what's your favorite um michael crichton story
1: jerry oh man um you brought him up now yeah i did gotta deliver
2: (laughs) i liked my favorite book of his is probably sphere and that was my least favorite movie yeah the movie was really disappointing
0: now you're like me like when you see the movie on you're still just drawn in just to, to gripe about the movie Sphere in particular or yes. a bad movie? Sphere in particular.
2: Like, I'll watch it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, prob- Probably because it reminds me – I mean, I read that when I was in, like, high school. Um, probably because it, it reminds me of the experience of reading the book, which was, like – I remember, like, being up at night, you know, g- gripped with this story because it's, like, a thriller, mystery, sci-fi thing where you're like, what's going on? And I think I, I start the movie every time – with the anticipation that it's going to be that experience
0: and for me every time i see that movie come on i think oh man it's that movie yeah <laughs> and then like an hour and a half
2: later i'm like oh man i just watched that whole movie <laughs> yeah this is my what's frustrating for me as like a as a dad 90 minutes is precious time and you, know, you get sucked <laughs> in on a saturday afternoon and you just wasted nap time and now the baby's up and you go no <laughs> this is my time I wasted it on you, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> you, Samuel L. Jackson.
0: I want a do-over. <laughs> and let's not forget, Queen Latifah was in that.
2: Oh, oh wow. Yes. I forgot about that. Queen Latifah. Let, let us not forget.
0: <laughs> uh, now, my actual favorite book of his is Eaters of the Dead which was Great his book. rewrite of Beowulf. Oh, yeah. And What would Beowulf look like if an actual historian wrote it with right. you know, factual information? I just love the detail he put into how the huts were made for the Vikings, yeah. the tactics they used, and just fear behind it because I, I lived in Monterey, California at the time. And if you've ever been there, you know that it's foggy in the morning, it's foggy at night, and every time I picked that book up to read it, it was nighttime and it was foggy, and then here it is, like and the fog rolled in. And I was like, oh yeah. man, I'm sitting by the window i need to get away from there and I, I think it's probably the only movie that was adapted well from the book
2: it's a good movie yeah
1: and california is kind of a scary place anyway so <laughs> if you read that book at night alone when the fog Absolutely. rolls in yes <laughs> so, so jeff we were we were talking a little bit before we we got online with you and we were thinking you know about the books that you've read and the books that you've written we also came up with an interesting concept and Feel free to write this book and we'll buy it and we'll promote it for you. But <laughs> Yes, we will. If you were stranded on a desert island and you had to write a book about how to get off of that desert island, <laughs> what would you do? What would you call it? I think it was the actual yeah, what discussion. what would you call it? That's
2: what it was. To, so I'm on, a, I'm on a desert island. I have to write a book about how to get off the desert island. Right. And what would I call the book? Yes. Um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, so how to build a boat <laughs> how to build a boat there you go
1: well Jerry made the uh, uh, comment that now you would be able to say I literally wrote the book on getting off of a desert island so yeah
2: yeah yeah it's
1: <laughs> a good question probably probably <laughs> should listen to better people about what to write next but yeah. how many books have you written total this is my fifth book Are The fifth book published or have you written something that you've not published yet
2: <laughs> um I've never completed a, a book that wasn't published um Uh, When I started writing, I I talked to this author named Shauna Nequist, and she said, um, you know, every writer feels like they've got a book written on their hard drive, you know, on their computer. And when you actually sit down to do the work, you find out you actually have like a chapter. And that was certainly my experience. And so I don't have any full written books, you know, tucked away on my hard drive, because I think the deadline moves you, it makes you finish. And certainly, I'm sure there are writers out there who've got stacks and stacks of books, you know, in their sock drawers, and you know, ready for the world to see them. I'm not one of those people without a deadline and without the expectation of an audience. I won't finish the work. And so one of the reasons, honestly, that I finish books is so that I can start the exciting task of beginning a new one. Finishing for me is really a discipline. How long
1: on average does it take you to, from start to finish? Like when you actually start writing, not necessarily concept.
2: It's t- To write a book, you're asking? Yes. It, every book is taking longer than the previous <laughs> book, like twice as long. And, and I think part of that is you realize – I mean I, I think you start to respect the craft more and you realize what's required and um and so the the more i write books the more i respect the craft and the better i want to do so my first book uh, uh you know i wrote in like three months the next book i wrote in like six months the book after that took you know a year and wow. this book took me about a year about six months of research and i i'm constantly researching i try to get the research done before i start writing the book but inevitably when i start writing the book i start going down other you know rabbit trails it took about i mean it took 11 months to write and edit the book which is about the longest on the writing portion so you know all in uh, almost two years of research writing finishing the thing getting it out there
1: so this new book that you've got real artists don't starve what was the motivation behind that? And part of it you've kind of touched on of just you know the desire to get other people to write, but what was your motivation and, and kind of what do you want someone to come away
2: with when they read that? So I live in Nashville, uh, which is a very creative town, as, as you might imagine, lots of musicians and lots of artists and even lots of entrepreneurs. And I've lived here 10 years and in these 10 years I've seen Uh, lots of creative people come and go. And I've seen uh, many of them succeed and and plenty of them fail. And over the time, I've gotten to know basically two groups of people, what I call thriving artists and then starving artists. And I think we're really familiar with the story of the starving artist. I mean, it it was a story as a creative person that I grew up hearing all the time like right. don't go all in on those <laughs> cartoons that you, you you're, you're drawing jeff you know when i was 10 years old um because that's not a real job or when i was a teenager playing uh, shows you know playing music with my band um i love this i was like i'm gonna be a professional musician and well you know like but yeah, you've got to have a real job you've got to have something <laughs> to fall back on and so i kept hearing this over and over again right i don't think this is a surprising story uh, even today but what i hadn't heard was The story of the thriving artist, the creative who's not famous, uh, but they are successful. They're making a living off of their art. And for me, the opposite of a starving artist is not a rich artist. It's a thriving artist. It's somebody who is making money off of their art so that they can make more art. And I wrote this book to tell the other side of that story. Uh, So certainly there are artists out there who are starving. uh, But it turns out, I believe this, that that is a choice, that now is the best time to do creative work. So long as you're willing to discard this myth of the starving artist and believe that your work has value and you can thrive off of it. Do you think some successful artists like the uh,
1: like the Stephen Kings and J.K. Rowling's those somehow hurt people who, uh, or maybe demotivate people who want to write? It's like I can't write at that level, so I shouldn't write.
0: Stay with us; we'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use CapShow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com Capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think anytime somebody is really, really successful, we discount them as outliers. You know, we say that they're really lucky or they're so good that, you know, I could never be that. I've heard that, you know, a, a considerable amount. I, I think there's, you know, maybe some merit to it. What I tried to do in this book was tell famous artists and musicians and creative entrepreneurs tell their origin stories about back when they were just a normal person so you know we want to look at Stephen King and go i don't know what it's like to be like that write multiple <laughs> best selling novels a year uh, that sell millions of copies a piece i don't know what that's how could i relate to that right. i mean he is one of the uh, most successful writers alive today and JK Rowling is the most successful author today, the billionaire author. And yeah that can feel demotivating. but if we look at Stephen King we go back to how he got started and and, and you know we read about in his memoir how he wrote Carrie uh, sitting on a um, uh, uh, a washing machine at the laundromat wash while he's washing <laughs> his clothes with his typewriters. Pecking away at this story, and then finishes this novel and throws it in the trash because he, he thinks it's terrible. And his wife pulls it out and makes him submit it to a publisher. Like that's a story I can relate to. I go, oh Stephen, I'm not Stephen King, and maybe I can't be Stephen King, but the guy, you know that right. that uh, Stephen King started out as, I can relate to that. A blue collar guy working uh, a job with a uh, you know at a school. With a young family, feeling like he doesn't have enough time, feeling like he hasn't gotten his big break, and just finding a little bit of time uh, in in the margins of life. And as you know, anybody who's a family person knows, anybody who's got kids <laughs> knows, there's not much margin, you know, in right. in, in this season. And he, and yet here he is writing his first book. Eventually, would go on to be a bestseller, and they'd make a movie around it, and it would be his big break. So. I can't relate to all the stuff that happened after that, but I can totally relate to how he got his start. And uh, I wrote this book, one, to illustrate the humanness of uh, how successful artists, writers, and entrepreneurs got their start because I think we can relate to that and replicate it. And then I tell the story of contemporary thriving artists, creatives in lots of different fields, whose names you don't know, who are doing really interesting work that they're succeeding at, again, as a motivator to say, this is still happening. I'm not talking about something that happened 50 or 100 years ago. This is happening today. These strategies work. The the way Picasso networked with Gertrude Stein to get his art in front of the Parisian art scene at a time when he was nobody uh, is the same way that uh, uh, artists are using the internet and blogging to get their message in front of the masses today it's the same strategy Uh, it's just you know adapted to the times a little bit differently
1: so if someone was starting out today and 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 they came to you and said okay Jeff I want to write and I've been writing and I've maybe got five chapters out of a 10 chapter book written what would you suggest they do next because they're probably let's say they're married they've got one or two smaller kids and they're they're working a day job because They're not making money at their art yet. What would you say they should do next just to get out of that mentality of I'll never be at the upper echelon and I'll never have enough money to support my art? Mm -hmm. I want to give up, but I don't want to give up.
2: Yeah, I think today writers start at the wrong place, right? Like we read that story about Stephen King writing Carrie. And then he submits it to a pub, They submit it to a bunch of publishers, and they all turn right. it down. And then eventually, the publisher takes it up, and they pay him a four hundred thousand dollar advance. <laughs> right. You know, so he went from like zero to sixty pretty quickly. And yes, there was a bunch of practice. There were, I mean, he'd been writing his whole life, and there were years and years of practice uh, leading up to that. But it looks like a big break, you know. And, and in right. many ways, it is. And and we cannot, especially today, we cannot go. Into writing with that kind of expectation. Now, to be clear, I know plenty of people who are getting advances in excess of that. I know a first time author just got a $500,000 advance for one book. So, it, you know, those things still happen. Right. Um, but that is not your first step. Your first step is not to find a publisher, your first step is to find an audience. And in the book, Real Artists Don't Starve, I talk about 12 timeless strategies that creatives for the past 500 years, back to the days of Michelangelo, who turns out was the richest artist of the Renaissance. um, And a lot of people didn't know this. I didn't know this. um, These things are are what creatives – uh, have always done to help their work succeed. And one of those things is uh, they build an audience. And the best way to do that, I think, is to practice in public. So starving artists, as you mentioned, Brandon, um, you know they're working on something. They've got a painting, they've got a uh, a record that they're working on. Uh, they've got a novel that they're writing, and they're hiding it from the world. And uh, recently heard Seth Godin at a writing conference say, um, it used to be that you wanted to chase publishers. Now you need to chase readers, right? If you find wow. the readers, the publishers will be chasing you, and that's true. Uh, I was talking to somebody just the other day at, at at a at a party, you know, at a kid's birthday party, and she's a mom with a special needs child, has an incredible story that needs to be told, and a publisher turned her down because she didn't have an audience. And so it's not about having a good enough message. Obviously that's important. Uh, it really is about understanding. Your market and and knowing who will buy this and the tools, you know, the tools we're using right now, uh, podcasts, blogs, Facebook, the tools that we have today to build an audience make this easier than it's ever been. And so all you need to do if you're if you're writing something, all you need to do if you're uh, uh, y- you want to create visual art or you're a designer or a stylist or you write songs What you need to do is you need to share some piece of art once a day or once a week on a a frequent basis. You need to practice in public. When you do this, you get better, faster, and you begin to build an audience, and they watch you grow in your skill. I talked to an artist recently who did this with Flickr years ago Uh, when Flickr was a big thing. She she was – a fledgling artist just starting out and she took a picture of a work in progress a painting that she was working on uh she was crafting you know she was knitting she was doing all these different things she just took a picture put it on flickr and said, this is what i'm working on today it wasn't a finished piece it was just a work in progress this it turns out is especially today kind of the best kind of marketing we're very skeptical of advertising but when somebody shares their process that's fascinating, isn't it? Right. It's it, like I want to see how J.J. Abrams is making the next Star Wars movie. You know, I want to. I want right. to see how Mad Men, you know, my favorite TV show, uh, <laughs> was made. I, I want to see how, um, uh, it, it, you know, Beyonce is writing her songs, collaborating with all these art- artists. I want to see how the sausage gets made. And and yet this is a pro. This is the process that artists want to keep mysterious. And when you're starting out, the best thing that you could do is just share, not the whole thing, but a little bit of your process, something that you're working on. When this artist started doing this on Flickr, uh, she did this for years, and then people started messaging her. There was no ask. She never had a call to action. They started saying, hey, can I buy that piece? Can I mm-hmm. can I pay you? Can I, can I commission you to paint something or make something for me? For the person whose livelihood is the things that they create, sharing your work. On social media, on an email list, on, on, on your blog, uh, talking about it on a podcast, uh, you know, d- doing you know, a, a, a time lapse of a, of, of a book that you're writing or something on YouTube, this is the best kind of marketing we can do around our work today. And this is how we're going to build the audience. And if you build the audience, everything becomes much, much easier. And if you don't, everything is much, much harder.
0: There's also this course I heard about. You may have heard of it, Jeff, called Tribe Writers. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of it. (laughs) Now, I was just, when I heard you talking, I was like, wait, Jeff's done a course. (laughs) And uh, I know some folks who've taken it. Um, I mean, Snodgrass was one of them, Mm -hmm. uh, a few other folks. I'm not sure if Sarah took it. I think. I think Alyssa Wagner might have taken yes. it, too. Yes, I remember. Yeah, so we've got some friends here in the local Corpus Christi area who've taken yeah. it. We've seen them yeah. launch their writing careers as a result and build mm-hmm. their tribes, and it's really neat. Uh, do you want to tell folks a little bit more about it?
2: Sure, yeah. Tribe Writers is a course uh, that we teach about twice a year. TribeWriters.com is the domain, and you can go there and you know get on a waiting list and find more. find out more about it. But it's a course that I teach Uh, Based on my experience of building an audience from scratch, not having any special connections or any particular advantages and wanting to become a writer, really struggling with that and realizing you've got to build the audience, the tribe first – and then you know, from there, everything becomes easier. So we teach people how to take their message and amplify it through blogging, social media, and these online tools today. And then ultimately monetize that message. Uh, get paid and published um, uh, off of the words that they write and get the attention that that message deserves. And um, yeah, we've been doing that for five years now. We've had uh, thousands of people go through it. What's really fun about it, guys, as you mentioned, is… It started out with, hey, this is my process based on my observation of what other people have done and just kind of studying the greats and stealing some of those strategies and, and recombining them into something that worked for me and then teaching it. But over the past five years, we've seen some many of our students become very successful following these principles. And so now it's it's a proven process. It's not just, hey, this is my process. This is something that we see at work, year after year after year, I just shared a story of uh, one of our clients who uh, signed a two hundred twenty thousand dollar book deal because he followed the principles and tribe writers and went from zero to a hundred thousand email subscribers in a year, uh, following you know some of the strategies that we teach. And so wow. people ask me, is it still possible? And <laughs> I you know, point to people like that. His name is Ben Hardy, and he did yep. it in a year and got a big book deal with a major publisher and changed his life seemingly overnight but I mean he did the work and he did it really well and uh, you know it goes back to that audience thing he built the audience first
1: and we had been on the show year last ago? year something yeah. like he's a very oh, yeah, interesting guy really so yeah cool. we knew yeah. three of your smart.
2: students there <laughs> you go there yeah go. very smart what,
1: what would you say I, I would imagine most people or maybe not most people, but a lot of uh, artists don't uh, they struggle with getting past that point of showing their work. Now, I've got a really good friend. He builds, uh, woodworking tables, furniture, and but it's all handmade. It's all his heart and soul goes into it. <laughs> Scott. His, uh, well, it's Scott too. He's another one. It's oh. like share it on Facebook. Well, Scott's a great example of somebody. It took a while to get him to share it on yeah. Facebook. And once he did, he started to get these comments of, Hey, I want you to build something for me or whatever. We hide behind that, that what, what will people think? If I produce it out in public. So so how do you get past that?
2: I I don't know that you do. I mean, I think that's the biggest question I get, Brandon, is um, how do I not feel afraid? How do I just <laughs> feel confident? I don't know. I mean, here this was surprising to me. When I realized that many of my biggest heroes, the people that I most admire – Uh, when I got to know some of these people, this has been kind of the greatest surprise of my journey over the past few years is my heroes have become my friends in many respects. Um, and I find out they're just as afraid as I am and they're just as scared as they were since they started. Uh, but what they know now is fear is not an indicator you should stop. In many ways, fear is an indicator that you should keep going because you're doing something that scares you, which means it's risky. Right. And 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 that's, you know, that's often the, the the things worth doing. Not, you know, staying stuck in the rut, not, you know, staying stuck in your comfort zone, but branching out and doing something that could fail. That's that's where life is. That's where the best <laughs> art is made. It's on the edge, on the fringes. And I, I do think that professionals know something about fear that amateurs don't. And uh, I think it's this, professionals uh, know how to do the thing that they're afraid of, they know how to do it afraid. Whereas amateurs wow. are waiting to to feel braver before they do it.
1: Right, That that's really good uh, advice because you, you almost know from the start, if you're lucky, 50% of the people won't like it. But 50% will. But if you focus on the 50 that don't, you'll never produce anything.
2: Yeah, gosh, you know, and I think those are very optimistic numbers, you know, (laughs) like I think most, most people in the world do not like the stuff that I'm creating. But that's a cool thing about the Internet these days is it's not one big channel. It's a bunch of it's a million tiny channels like this is a channel right here, right? Mm -hmm. And if we were to broadcast this show on NBC tomorrow, you know, or on nationally syndicated radio uh, on, on some major network. It probably wouldn't do that well because the stuff that we're <laughs> talking about is not broadly applicable to most people. Right, and uh, and that's the cool thing about it is the person who needs this can find it and it will resonate them with them and they'll go, wow, this is just what I needed. And I don't know about you guys, but you know, whenever I'm sort of struggling with feeling inadequate about not being more famous which is just you know <laughs> my own little insecurity but is a, a struggle that i have sometimes where i go oh you know what would i had a friend who was recently on the ellen show and i was like oh i wonder what that would be like you know uh, and i just have to remind myself like you don't want to do something for everybody right and and i don't denigrate the people who do but it is more fulfilling to me to have somebody say when you wrote this book, when you publish this sentence, it changed my life versus saying things that are more universally salient, you know, universally palatable and and having people go, yeah, that's that's okay. That's cool. I guess I I don't hate that. I don't love it, but (laughs) I can dig that. Like be nice to people. Oh, great. Good. I mean, that, 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 yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I'd rather say something specific to someone and, and risk other people hating it. Again, Not. I don't want to be um, controversial for, for the sake of being controversial. Right. Uh, but I'd rather say something specific to someone and have lots of people hate it than say something um, non-specific to everyone and have most people just kind of shrug and, and keep going. Because I don't think that's how you change culture. I don't think that's how you change people. That's not how you make your little dent in the universe. Right. That's not art. You know, to just – do something mainstream that's not art yeah and, and you know like this is the biggest criticism that we hear of art right which is I don't get it right right you look at you look at, uh, at a piece of work at a museum and you go I don't get it and we forget that's the point <laughs> like the point the point that that of of writing that song of writing that book of painting that picture was was people will not get this Some people will not understand this, but that is the risk we take so that some people go, wow, that is, that is what I need. That is, that is just what I need. Right. And, uh, and I get that, you know, like I, I mean, I love TV. I love television shows. We're living in like the golden age of TV right now. And when, and when people tell me, you know, their favorite show is some, uh, you know, network. Uh, sitcom or drama I'm like okay cool yeah. <laughs> you know I'm like mine is Breaking Bad or Mad Men yeah. or uh, you know these I mean, there's just so many great shows and they go I don't get that uh, part of me is like well okay um, cool yeah. <laughs> uh, but like that's like that's the risk that's the risk that you as a creator take when you make something and you want to, and you want to change something. You don't just want to get sort of vacant applause or approval from the masses. Because if I wanted to be super, super popular, just for the sake of being super, super popular, I would start like a style blog or you know uh, a, a, some sort of paparazzi. Yeah. Blog or channel where I'm just talking about what the latest celebrity did, but that's not fulfilling to me. I don't think that's making the kind of impact that I want to make. And so, at a certain point, we have to ask ourselves the question: What do I want to change, and what am I willing to risk to make that change? And so, I, I mean, I think that's the question for your friend who's scared of sharing his work. Um, it's not the question, what if people don't like it? Like that reminds me in Back to the Future when Marnie McFly is talking to his dad and he's like, but what if people hate it? You know? And he's just like, dad, he's like, come on, you know, George, come on. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think you can ask yourself the question, well, what if this fails all day long? And and it might. So you have to be prepared for that. But right. we often don't ask the other question, which is, what if this was amazing? Right. And are you, and are you willing to risk someone not seeing this like are you willing to risk that never happening because you're afraid someone might not like it so i don't like telling people hey this will totally work and you don't have anything to worry about because that's not (laughs) always true sometimes the worst case scenario sometimes worse than the worst case scenario happens the question is is this worth the risk like i have a friend who lost a bunch of weight uh recently and he and he likes to say um uh, uh, I don't need easy. I just need worth it. Right. And, and I think that's, that's what we all want out of our lives is, um, and out of the work that we do, we intuitively are suspicious of easy fixes. I had another friend who recently, um, you know, lost a bunch of weight and then gained it all back. Right. I mean, this, this is a you know, big obstacle for uh, a lot of people myself included, I've, you know, dealt with weight struggles. Um, and uh, and i think when somebody says hey this is easy you just do this this and this we do like it could be true but we won't believe it right because we understand that the greatest gifts that we get in life are hard one and the attention that you get around this important creative work that you're doing, whether you're making furniture or you want to start a YouTube channel uh, or you, know, you, just want to, you just want to do a better job at your day job, there's risk involved there. And the question is always, what is this worth and what are you willing to risk to get this thing that you've never had before?
1: And that's really where our podcast came from. You know, it's not about you risking the world because you have nothing. It's about that comfort mm-hmm. zone. I, I, I make a good living. I have benefits. My house is secure. My family's secure, but I'm not risking anything. I'm just basically trying to stay alive for the next 60, 70 years. It's like, no, uh-huh. get out of that rut and try something. Because failure is better than that comfort zone of just staying alive. We all get out of here the same way, anyway. So do something with it. Make people miss you. Make make people, you know, wish that you were still producing or wish that you were still here. Not just go, well, he was a nice guy, but all he did was safely make it to death.
2: Right. Yeah, I love I love that line. Make people miss you, and um, we we don't. Look back fondly on moments of predictability. Typically, Right. we look back on these these moments of risk. Uh, the, you know the, these these big moments in life where we, and they don't even have to be like big big moments. They just were times when we were fully present to the people in our lives and uh, the work and stuff that we were doing, and, and and it was we were just there. We were fully there. I, I love. Um, that quote by the missionary jim elliott he says wherever you are be all there
1: right It, it's so true in, in relationships and with, with other people of any kind, you know, whenever, especially since we all have a cell phone in our hand now and there's so much, uh, media around us, we can pay attention to when you're, when you're talking to somebody and you notice they're not looking at anything else. They're not engaged in anything else. That means something to you. And it, and it makes you want more of that, not less of everybody staring at other things and paying attention to you. (laughs) Yeah. This has just been a, a wealth of knowledge. And I, I love the way you put the things about, you know, just go out and risk some things, do some things, and, and, and give it a shot. Because, like you said, failure is just, you know, it's a reality, but it's not something to fear.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, fear is a part of life. And I, I think there's good fear and bad fear. Um, good fear is a lion's going to eat me. I'm afraid. I need to run away. And, and there are those moments of life or death fear. You know, um, if I don't get a job, w- like we're going to default on our mortgage for the second month in a row and we're going to, you know, like we're going to get foreclosed on. This is a big deal. Like we got to right. survive. There are those moments in life. I don't want to dismiss that. Some fear is rational. It's, it's a good fear and it will motivate you to, to get out of the rut and move to a better place. But there's a lot of bad fear, which is the, what if this fails? What if it doesn't work? What if, what if, what if, what if? And it's bad fear because if it's not going to kill you, then it's not worth being afraid over. Wow. You'll learn good. something. It'll be hard. It's okay to feel the fear. I mean, I feel fear right now, you know, about a, a my, my new book. Gosh, what if it doesn't <laughs> do well? And what if the, you know, what if the publisher <laughs> wants their money back? You know, yeah. like all these, you know, we absurd sold ten things. Copies. <laughs> And honestly, I'm not willing myself to not feel afraid, and I'm not rationalizing with my irrational side. I'm going, I remember what this feels like. This is the feeling that I get before I have a breakthrough. (laughs) And I don't know if that will happen or not, but I know that it's exciting, and this is where I want to live my life. I don't want to live my life safe, free from failure, free from fear, free from life free from the things that make you feel alive. I want to lean in a little bit. And as you said, it doesn't have to you don't have to take a giant leap of faith and and do radical audacious stuff. You just have to step out a little bit beyond where you can see and trust that whatever happens, it's going to be a good thing because it's going to help you grow. Wow, that's
1: really good. That that's a great place to probably end that part but let's talk a little bit about the book and not a little bit we've been talking about it obviously but sure it comes out next week right June sixth it comes out, yes. June sixth, which won't be next week when people hear this, but June sixth will probably be Actually the day they hear yeah, this. This is gonna be live. It comes out that today. Week. Go get it.
0: Yes. Get it now. <laughs> it's here. It's <laughs> now, here. Now.
1: <laughs> you should be on Amazon. Pause the podcast, get on Amazon and order. Now where yeah. can folks buy the
0: book? Because we know at least well Brennan and I need to get a copy and we'll actually yeah, uh, Your assistant supplied us a copy to read beforehand, oh. but I want to support what you're doing, and I'm probably going to buy a copy anyway, because when I put that Amazon review in, I wanted to say verified purchaser. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> more like real that way. Give it away, too. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, appreciate and that. So where can folks buy the book? Because we know at least two other folks who are making furniture who need to read it. We know a guy mm. who writes lots of short stories who needs to read that and actually do mm. um, publish and all, all that good stuff. So tell us where folks can buy the book.
2: Yes, yeah, so as you, as you mentioned, Jerry, this is a book for creative workers or for the people who love them. And art, for me, is not painting. It's not just writing. It's not. Um uh, you know, what we think of as the art, it's broader than that. It is the gift that you have to share with the world. Uh, and I think we all know artists like that in our lives and, you know, may in fact be those people. And this is a book about how to not be a starving artist and how to really make it. And the book is available wherever fine books are sold. I love when people say that um, to find out more about it. So it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you name it. Um, to find out more about it, you can go to don'tstarve.com. And uh, we actually have some bonuses available if you uh, buy the book the week it comes out. So you can find out more about that at DontStarve.com.
1: And if they want to find out more
2: about you, the best place to do that would be? Go to my blog. <laughs> yeah. Goinswriter.com. G-O-I-N-S writer.com. And you do a lot of Facebook
1: Live. You're you're pretty accessible. There There's a million ways to... To get in touch with you and kind of communicate with you and hear from you. So, highly encourage everyone to do that. We're going to link it all in the show
0: notes too. Yes,
1: right. and your home address is. <laughs> Just kidding! Don't go I don't to think Jeff's house. That out? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do have a PO box, and I love mail. <laughs> hey, there you go.
1: We don't get yeah. much mail that's not from a company of some kind anymore. So that's yeah. always fun to get. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, I check my mail, then I go to the trash can, and then I come to the <laughs> office and sort through what I actually got.
1: Yeah, you got to drop about two pounds into the trash can to get back to the car. Well, yeah. awesome! Thanks, Jeff, uh, for joining us and. uh Talking through some of these concepts and uh, just making time for us. All the success in the world for the book. I I hope it's a uh, an impactful book. I know it's not your goal to, to be a number one bestseller Stephen King necessarily. Not that you're against it, but you want to make that impact. And that's one of the things I really admire about
2: you. Yeah, thanks. And I, I mean, to be clear, I don't think that was Stephen King's goal either. He was just <laughs> exactly. doing work that he loved and found an audience for it. And it grew and grew and grew. And so I think that's the goal, right? Not the result, but the process. I've always wondered how
1: many uh, his wife didn't pull out of the trash can. You What great novel <laughs> or movie did we miss? Because she didn't uh, see it. Yeah, Or he threw it away someplace else. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, I hope you have a great day. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you
2: soon cool thanks
1: guys take care Jeff
0: everything that we talked about with Jeff in this episode is going to be in our show notes and you can find those show notes at beyond the slash zero nine one there you'll find the link to his blog goingsrider.com you'll find a link to tribe Rider. so maybe you read the book you heard this episode and you still want more interaction more coaching tribe writers may be the way to go so check it out we'll have the link in the show notes the best way you can support our show is to share this episode with a friend a family member a co-worker or that neighbor across the street you know somebody who has a gift to share with the world they just don't know how to go about it this book real artists don't starve will help them get there and this is the story behind that book and also if you just happen to be a fan of stephen king why not or you know somebody who is now, we also want to hear from you. We want to hear your Beyond the Rut story. So email us, info at beyondtherut.com or call in and leave a voicemail, 361-596-3788. And I'm going to close with this one little piece of advice. Go live life beyond the rut. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next episode.